Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues his series in the book of Romans. In this sermon, we'll be looking at sin's effect on every part of us. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, Total Depravity. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Let's read this passage once again and and continue to study through here. So uh, after being told about the sin of of various nations, the Jews and the Gentiles, we come here to verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Oh God, you have prepared a a delightful, a delightful dish for us. Um, I just ask God uh, that I not drop the tray as I try and explain your word. All of the power, all of the beauty, all of the wonder is outside of us. It is from you. And I just pray, God, that you give us grace to have eyes to see the truth that you have shown, the truth, O Lord, uh, in this text. Help us, God, to see this, but see the bigger picture. Help us, God, to see through the small truths to the bigger truths, to see you for who you are, to come to know you, oh God. Lord, I pray that we do not just simply learn facts about the Bible, though we need that. We pray that we do, but I ask God we come to know you, our creator, our savior. So please, oh God, protect this time. Help us to be free of distraction. Give us minds that can think, eyes that are able to see with new kind of sight, hearts that are responsive. Please bless everything that needs to happen, O God, for your name to be glorified here. We pray this through the name of Christ. Amen. If you take a sponge and dip it down in a bucket of vinegar, And then bring that sponge back out and try to squeeze the vinegar out of there. When you're done, still the sponge has vinegar. Every part of it is still going to smell of it. Some parts of the sponge may have more than others. And if various people did the same thing, some of the sponges might have more or less than others. But still, all of them and every part of them have been affected and the traces of that vinegar still remain. Well, in a similar kind of way, God in the Bible explains to us that every part of who we are 
has been affected by the corruption of sin, by, from the, the fall, from the glory we were created in, in Adam at the beginning. And so every single one of us, but every single part of us has been affected by sin. And what that means is we take these parts and we use them in a way that's perverted, twisted, corrupted from the way they were designed by God. And, and so to try to relate this to the, the Christian experience, um, justification, okay, B big word, but it's, it's a Bible word that you're going to have to know. Justification is this, this moment that God forgives us of the sin that we have committed. But this process that the Bible calls sanctification this is a process that begins after someone has turned to Christ and been forgiven, made right with God. That process of sanctification, you might think of it kind of like participating with God in squeezing the vinegar out of the sponge. But no matter how hard you try and no matter how much effort that you give to this, still the reality is it's going to remain within the sponge until... This, this final redemption comes, what the Bible calls glorification, when God completely cleanses and the sponge no longer has any there, but is completely clean. To say it in another way, not one part of us is as it should be. No one of us are as bad as we could be, but not one part of us is yet as it should be. Every body part that you have was designed by God for his glory. Pastor, do you mean even that part? Even that part. It was designed to reveal God's glory. And it was designed in a way that we were to take all of these aspects of who we are and then to specifically use them for the glory of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. To, to study the human body is an exercise in worship if you have the right mindset about it. To think through all the ways, even down to the invisible parts, so small that you need a microscope to see them. Every one of them show the glory of God. God has, God has put his design and handiwork all over us. And so God has, God has made our bodies in such a way that it shows his glory but then also we were meant to take all of this and use it, employ it to his glory. Your taste buds were made for the glory of God. How? How can taste buds? Well, when you take that bite of no-bake cookies, the best dessert on the planet. I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere. You take a bite of that and your taste buds are, are dancing in delight. Listen, mosquitoes can't do that. Amoebas don't rejoice like that whenever they participate in these things. You really can worship in those kinds of moments. You can, you can have a thought to yourself, what an amazing God that he created a world where there can be pleasure in things like this. It's, it's incredible. Every part of us, from your DNA to your chromosomes to your beard follicles, beards were definitely made for the glory of God. <laughs> Every part of you was designed by an infinitely wise God to show his glory and be used to glorify him. Your hands were created to be used to glorify God. Your hands were created 
to be employed in work in order to provide for yourself because this is how God designed it. And the Bible says that even when you eat and drink, let it all be done for the glory of God. Your hands were designed to bring food to the hungry. Your hands were designed to be able to grasp the fingers of your little babies, to show affection. Your hands were created to be lifted in worship to God. Your hands were created to give and to mend the brokenhearted. God designed these hands for his glory. But part of what we see scriptures show is we have taken what God designed for good and we have begun to use them for evil. Not only every body part, but who you are internally. Every part of the inner self, the heart, the mind, the, the, the soul, the spirit, the affections, the volition, the decisions, the intellect. It was all designed so that we could glory on the inside. And, and what that means is to see the amazing awesomeness of God and to feel wonder, gratitude, affection for God. We were designed like this to, to experience this and then to express gratitude and worship back to him. You were made for worship. Mosquitoes can't do that. Deer can't do that. You were made with such a capacity that you could enjoy beauty, see beauty, see the glory of God, and then use these faculties to express it back to him. Every part of you, every part of you was designed to recognize his glory, worship him in all, then use the body to live a God-centered, God-word, God-glorifying life. But here's the story of human history. What was made to glorify God, every part, body and soul has been corrupted and tainted by the fall and is now in some way used to serve self instead of God, he who we were designed to live for. Apart from Christ, so who we are before the new birth, we use every part to serve self instead of God. And this is resistance to God. And after the new birth, you know, we begin transformation the moment you Christian, that you responded to the gospel, the moment that your, your heart turned to him and you trusted in Christ, the moment that happens, we begin transformation, but still fall and fall daily. You know, one of the things we mentioned as we began uh, this overview, uh, or started to walk through this passage in the overview, we mentioned that it is going to walk us through um, head to feet, inside and outside, how we are depraved. Uh, what the Bible means by that is that we are involved in sin. Every part of us involved in opposition to God. But let me give this little bit of explanation before we begin so that we think of it rightly. Verses 10 through 18, it is describing the one who has not yet come to Christ. It is describing the unregenerate man, the, the uh, un unsaved man, the one who's not yet been converted. If you are still kind of new to studying the Bible, then this is the central message of the Bible. If you will read Romans 3 and understand Romans 3, you at least understand the main idea of the whole Bible. But the central idea of the Bible is that God explains to you, you have sinned against the holy and living God. 
You've fallen from what you were designed to be and you and I deserve an eternity of the wrath of God experiencing his anger separated from all that is good. But here's the climax of all of history. And so it's the climax of the Bible. God made a way to fix us of that. God designed a way for us to be, to be saved out of that that we deserve. And his plan is in Christ. And now if you will turn to Christ in turning away from sin and what the Bible calls repentance, trust in Christ, call out to him in faith, then you will be saved. When that happens, that moment, that's what the Bible calls salvation. That's whenever the new birth has occurred. This passage, verses 10 through 18, is speaking of the one that has not yet come to faith in Christ. This is about who we are naturally, where we are apart from the grace of God. So if you're in this room this morning and you have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, then this is where you are. But now Christian, you who have responded to Christ, you who are confident that your life is showing the fruit of what a true Christian is, we need to understand it's not like all of a sudden this becomes irrelevant to us. It's not like all of a sudden this isn't us anymore. This is the nature that we fight every single day. See, once you come to faith in Christ, it's not like all of a sudden every body part, now it's all operating like it's supposed to be, all operating for the glory of God. No, what happens then is we are given a new nature, we are made a new creation in Christ, but God in his infinite wisdom has chosen not to take out all of the sin nature yet. We now become creatures who have two natures, the spirit and the flesh. And every day we're battling this guy. Every day we're battling the old man. And the Bible's telling us, put off the old man, put on the new man, take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes. We're in this fight, this war every single day. Once we come to faith in Christ, it's not that we begin glorifying God in everything, but it is that we begin to want to. And in our want to, we begin to make progress. You, you might think of it like a house that's been hit by a hurricane. It's been shaken off its foundation. Windows have been shattered. Shingles have been ripped off. And then maybe even worse, mold is now growing all through the house. You see it and you think, how in the world am I ever going to get this restored wouldn't it just be easier to light it on fire and burn it to the ground? But God says, I want you to labor to restore it. So what do you do? You work. Day after day, you're putting in effort and slowly the house is being restored. The mold and the tattered nature, it's still there. It's still evident every single day, but you keep working towards restoration. Friend, you might think of justification as in our weird illustration. Imagine somehow you caused the hurricane and we are forgiven of the fact that the house has been made a disaster. But sanctification is the process wherein we're working to restore what has been destroyed. Glorification is that time at the end where God says, watch this. And in one word he speaks and the house is made better than it ever was before. God is at work in the Christian 
But our battle, our fight every day is fighting who we are naturally. And verses 10 through 18 describe this. So let's get started in walking through the passage. Um, I've mentioned that there are four primary truths uh, that I hope to bring out of this passage. I think it's teaching four primary things. We're going to work through the first two today. So number one is all mankind is in sin. The first emphasis of the passage is on the fact that every people group and every soul is under the power of sin. Look at it in the text. We'll walk through just very quickly. In verse 9, notice the word both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Verse 10, notice the word none followed by not even one. Verse 11, none. Notice again, none. Verse 12, all followed by together followed by none. Verse 12 ends with not even one. If you're counting, that's 10 times. 10 times it is explained that all are under sin. And so what that means is, is all people groups, because remember we got this whole Jew and Gentile difficulty that's being talked about here. And, and so this is important that we look at. Some folks look at the world and they think, well, what about the guy on the island who doesn't have a Bible? Is he really under sin? Well, the Bible has explained why he has the law of God written in his heart. So yes, every people group of the Gentiles, of the non-Jews are all under sin. But remember there was this misunderstanding in the first century about the Jews. And many of them thought, well, we're the ones who have the law. So there's nothing wrong with us. We try to obey God. And he says, no, all are under sin, every people group. But it also means every soul. And there are no exceptions. You are under the power of sin. There are no loopholes, no exceptions. If you're new to studying the Bible, then you're waiting for me to get to that part that lets you off the hook. You are under the power of sin, you have resisted and opposed God, and you are under condemnation. If you do not latch on to Jesus Christ by faith, you really are going to see an eternity of hell. Those from the world who hear this for the first time, they're always waiting, but where's that part where you say, unless you come to church and you're good, and then you're okay? It's not there. It is Christ and Christ alone. You must be saved from your condition, saved from the wrath that you deserve in order to be right with God. The message of the Bible is how God has made a way to fix this. So every people group and every soul. Let me, let me give a little bit of a side note here. It's not really part of the text, but a lot of times we have questions about the Bible and I want to kind of answer some of those questions that may be forming. So let me say this side note. You may have been raised in a tradition where you were taught that certain saints or maybe Mary is excluded from this. And by the way, let me tell you that when the Bible uses the word saints, it says that every single Christian is a saint. Romans 1, look it up. But you may have been raised in a tradition where you were taught about Mary being sinless for her whole life. And listen, if you're raised in that, I, I get it. When you hear something your whole life, you, you, it, you tend to make it a part of your worldview and just how you see everything. But what I'm telling you is that not only does the Bible never teach that, it was invented by men, but it is also a contradiction to Scripture. Friends, the Roman Catholic Church has even invented a story about how Mary was delivered out the side of her mother's womb instead of according to the natural means so that she could have the original sin skipped 
in her. When you hear people talk about immaculate conception, see, a lot of times whenever you hear that, you may think that's talking about Jesus's uh, miraculous um, conception by the Holy Spirit and born from the Virgin Mary. But that's actually not what is being talked about when that term is used. That term is actually being used by, about an invented story that is nowhere in Scripture. It's a contradiction to Scripture about some weird story about Mary. Listen, it all boils down to this. We can have heroes from the Bible. Peter is one of our heroes, but he was never sinless. Mary did honorable things, never sinless. No one is accepted in this. There are no loopholes here. And let me just tell you, it is blasphemy to say things like that. But on that same note, couldn't someone ask, again, side note, but I'm trying to anticipate questions. Well, pastor, what about Jesus? You just said there are no exceptions. Well, look at the passage again. Look at verse 11. There is none who seeks for God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is a different kind of man. He is the God-man. He is in a class all by himself. Yes, he did become fully human, but he is not merely human. You and I, we are all mere humans. And the, and the Bible does even address this kind of question, actually. So these kinds of uh, things that people would ask, we're going to see it addressed different places like uh, uh, John 1 and 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit more in chapter 5 of Romans when we get there about original sin being passed on and the sin nature. And we'll talk about the fact that Jesus's miraculous conception and such did was God the Father's way of bringing Jesus into this world to be truly human but not have original sin. It's all amazing in the plan of God. So Jesus is the God man. All of us mere men are sinful inside and outside. Here's number two. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. All of man is in sin. Here's the basic declaration in verse 10. None is righteous. None is right before God. And then watch how the whole of man is walked through. I've, I've divided it up into seven parts here. I'll show them to you first. His mind, his intellect, his thinking. Look at verse 11 again. There is none who understands. In our flesh, we are ignorant of God, ignorant of his will, ignorant of his character, ignorant of his ways, ignorant of his truth. But, but here's the deal that we, we got to understand. Our ignorance is not innocent. Does that make sense? Because somebody could like object, well, like, well, I don't understand God, so it's not fair that I would ever be judged. And what the Bible has done is we've got a couple things happening here. One is to show all of us do understand many things. Everybody has the law of God written on our hearts. But there are also many things about God. It was designed that we would grow in knowledge of him as we pursued him kind of like the way that a husband who's been married for his wife for 20 years but still doesn't know her he's ignorant might be a couple meanings to that statement there but his ignorance is not innocent he hasn't been pursuing her he hasn't been studying her he's been watching tv instead he doesn't know but it's because he doesn't want to know or it's kind of like have you ever had one of those friends that's all the time asking you to do favors for him, asking you, can you come do this? Can you come help me with this? And what they mean by help me is, can you come do this for me? 
So one of these times you show up at their house and you say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And then that way, now next time you'll know how to do it. And they don't want to, they don't want to learn. Well, they don't know, but it's because they don't want to know. Friends, God intended our lives to be a continual pursuit of the knowledge of God. Knowing his truth, knowing his ways, knowing his character, but most importantly, knowing him personally. Even Adam and Eve in their innocence did not know God completely. It was God's design that throughout their lives, they would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. But instead, man pursues knowledge of all kinds of things but has no interest in God. I mean, just think of the insanity. Think of how hard it is to convince people to read the Bible for 15, 20 minutes a day, and yet the world glorifies college, master's degrees, PhDs, devoting all this kind of time so I can make money. But yet the study of eternal things, can't give 15 minutes to that. It's amazing how many times people will claim, well, I can't memorize scripture, but could tell you a thousand facts about their favorite hobby or TV show. Listen to me, we study what we love. We go after, we go after, we pursue what we love and we have no interest in what we don't. We were designed by God to go after him, to grow in the knowledge. Secondly, man's will Desires, decisions, volition, heart, and soul are in opposition to God. Look at verse 11 again, the second part there. There is none who seeks for God. God designed that as we live, we would grow in knowledge and love as we gave this effort of seeking after God. But at the core, man in sin and man apart from God doesn't want God. Really, if you want to boil these things down, you can say it like this. We don't have God naturally and apart from Christ. We don't have him because we don't want him. We resist him. We oppose him. Apart from Christ, our heart is in opposition to God. We resist God. Romans 8 says that the the natural man, so that's the man apart from Christ, his heart is hostile toward God. God. The book of James helps us whenever it says that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility towards God. Why? Because the world system, the collective population is in opposition to God. So to live a life that is constantly pursuing that which is of the world and ignore God is a life of resistance to God. It's resisting the reason he made us, the purpose. We seek what is earthly and temporary. We seek money and shiny objects, what is of little value, and reject the fountain of delight himself. Now, someone could ask at this point, and especially here in this phrase, well, pastor, I don't understand. Listen, you're saying, okay, the Bible's saying no one seeks for God, but isn't that what religion is? Isn't religion the pursuit of God? And, and pastor, I don't think I'm being arrogant here, but I want God. That's why I'm here this morning. I'm hoping you're going to tell us something about him. I want God. So how does all of this work? 
And if your heart was asking that question, listen to me, you're on to something big. You're, you're on the verge of big, big mysteries that God is revealing and it is beautiful and you're gonna worship him more than you ever have when you begin to see these things. If you're a Christian, yeah, you want God and you want him bad. But the Bible explains this. You didn't. You didn't. You want him now, but it's because God has done something. God set his love on you. God came to you personally, worked miracles, drew you to himself. This is connected to all that the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God in salvation. Flip over for just a second to Romans 8. Romans 8, find verse 29 there for a second. Those whom he foreknew before the world was even created, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 explains, God knew his people the same way that a husband knows his wife. He, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see in this, we call this the golden chain of salvation sometimes. Do you see that in all of that, God is the one at work? God is the one doing these things? Yes, you in Christ, you want God, you seek him, you love him, you go to him. But there's gratitude that you need to give to God in this. He woke you up. He worked what the Bible calls the new birth. The new birth is not whenever you decide to get religious. The new birth is when God comes to a dead man and says, live live. Did you know that the Bible says that the faith that you have expressed in Jesus has been given to you as a gift? Did you know that the Bible explains that the repentance, that turning from sin that you are to do and you are responsible for, you had to be helped by God to do? That the Bible says, Jesus in John 6 said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Did you know that there is strength that is required to turn to God that is heavier than you can lift and God had to come to you and awaken you? You didn't want God, just let that sink in for a second. I didn't want God. God came to you, miracle, now I want God. That's who we are in the natural man though. But we are, we are never gonna worship God for the new birth. He deserves a billion years of worship for the new birth, a billion years, and then we still owe him more worship and you're not gonna know to give him that worship until we understand, I was dead. I wasn't just sick in sin, I was dead in sin. I didn't want God. He, he worked this. Man, that is good. If you don't worship in hearing that, slap yourself, wake yourself up. This is a miracle of God. But you don't understand the miracle until you understand the condition. You don't understand what a miraculous thing it is so long as you think that I was merely just a little sick in sin. Your condition was worse than you have ever imagined. And God has brought life. And let me just, let me just tack on to the end of that. If you're hearing this and you're not yet a Christian, I need you to feel a little helpless here. There's a sense of desperation that needs to set in a little bit. I am telling you that if the new birth doesn't happen, you're going to hell. 
and I am telling you to do something you can't do. I am telling you, you need a miracle you can't work. But here is the grace of God. Do you want him? And something very amazing is happening right now. Do you want him? Do you want to be saved? Then go to him and have the confidence whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But afterwards, you're going to learn, oh, God was at work in mysteries I can't explain. It makes my head hurt when I try to think about how it all happened. And when we get to heaven, we're going to comprehend the power of God that was at work in ways we did not comprehend. God is the one who shows mercy. But it is important that we comprehend apart from the grace of God at work in me. I didn't want him. I wasn't seeking him. You want him now? Thank God that you want him now. Well, thirdly, our direction of life has been corrupted by our evil desires. Verse 12, it says, we have turned aside. God created for you a path, a direction that you were to walk in. The Bible calls it the way or the narrow path or the narrow gate. But instead, like those travelers in Pilgrim's Progress who turn aside to Vanity Fair, we have all turned aside from the calling of God. Verse, or excuse me, number four, your life purpose has been perverted from its original design. Verse 12, together they have become useless. Together all have become useless. You might think that sounds cruel, but God's not being mean here. He's being honest. It's one of the things I hope you come to love about God speaking from the Bible. God doesn't pander. God doesn't lie. God doesn't beat around the bush. God is not politically correct. God doesn't change his message. God tells you the truth no matter how tough it is. This is the honest to God truth. Apart from Christ, you have become useless. What, 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 is, what does that mean? The same way that a branch on a grapevine that will not produce any fruit. It is a useless branch. It's, it's sucking resources out of the vine and that's why you prune it off. It, Jesus told half a dozen parables where he likened us to trees, seeds, grain, branches, grapes, vines, etc., etc. And always at the end of the parable, the big point would come when it says this, the one that is not bearing fruit, fulfilling the purpose for which you plant an apple tree or a grapevine, the purpose for which you brought it, then it is cut down and it is turned into firewood. When an object refuses to fulfill the purpose for which it is made, that is the definition of useless a cup that will not hold liquid, a pen that will not write, a car that will not drive. What do we do with these things? It is no longer fulfilling the purpose it was made. You daughters of Eve and sons of Adam, you were created to love God. You were created to know him, rejoice in him, worship him, seek him, pursue him, obey him, honor him, glorify him. That is not just important. You know, sometimes people say Jesus is important. That's not the way to say it. It's life purpose. That's what you were made for. And we have refused to fulfill the purpose for which we were made. Number five, our actions, our deeds, our works are tainted by the fall and sinfully unclean. Verse 12, there is none who does good, not even one. Again, questions could arise. Okay, but what about, 
What about the unbeliever who, okay, he doesn't trust Jesus, but he's a nice man. He gives to charity and such. Well, understand this. The Bible never says that apart from Christ, we're not capable of obeying any commandment, but hang on there with me. There's more that needs to be said there. But even those who oppose God and refuse him will often do many good deeds throughout their lives. Murderers will often even love their families. But numerous points flow out of that. The good deeds do not erase the bad deeds. The, the murderer who loves his mother, that is good. But that doesn't erase the wickedness and the, and the punishment that is deserved for the crime. But also we know things like an apple tree that produced 300 rotten moldy apples, but 25 good ones. We still don't call that a good apple tree. God's expectation for us when he created us was not just to do more good than bad. You know, sometimes people imagine there's going to be this scale in heaven, good works and bad works placed on different sides. And if your good works slightly outweigh your bad works, then that means you were a good person. Wrong metaphor. Wrong metaphor. A, a car that only drives three days of the week, you don't call a, a, a good car. Or what if it drove four days of the week instead of three, like more than the, than the other? That's a good car. No, we don't do that. A man who murdered on three days of the week, but not four, is not a good man. Wrong metaphor. Okay, when God created us for holiness, holiness is his expectation. Goodness is his design. And then the Bible also teaches this. In our flesh, apart from Christ, even when we obey commandments, it is still tainted by sin. So remember, Isaiah says that our best righteousness is as filthy rags before God. L let's pretend you were a manager and you had one employee that was just constantly disrespectful to you. Every time you were turning around, they were off uh, insulting you and gossiping about you behind your back, constantly taking little items and stealing them. This was an awful employee. But one day that employee brings you um, a gift card for coffee or something as some sort of expression. But let's imagine you had the ability to look into this man's heart and you saw that really he intended to keep being disrespectful. His guilt just got to him a little bit more this time. So he did a good deed. Here's, here's the question. Does that good deed make him a good man? And the answer is no. And what the Bible shows is that apart from Christ, even the ways we obey commandments, we still do with evil motives and in ways that we intend to keep resisting God. Genesis 6, 5 tells us that even our thoughts are continually tainted by wickedness. Every part of us. Number six, we sin with our lips. Look at verses 13 to 14 there. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. With our lips we lie, we gossip, we curse, we cuss, we speak with vulgarity, like in a locker room. We degrade others behind their back. We insult. We drip poison. And these lips that were created to praise and glorify God, 
these lips that were created to speak healing to others, we use for all manner of uncleanness. You know, sometimes people think that words don't matter. Like it's my actions that matter. It's not really what I say. It's no big deal. I can cuss and be a Christian. You know, this kind of thing. That's, that's absurd. You know, not only does the Bible just very clearly say these kinds of things, we know the power of words. With our lips, we communicate hatred that devastates. And with our lips, we communicate love that heals and gives encouragement and joy. Revolutions and reformations have been spread by words. We know they are powerful. And Jesus even said that with every careless word, it will be brought to judgment. Number seven, I'll kind of end, end it by saying and summing it up with this, with our feet. With our feet, we dishonor God. Verse 17, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. Now there is more that is said in this passage that I intend to come back to, Lord willing, next week when it talks about there is no fear of God before their eyes. But for a second, consider our feet. Our feet were meant to walk us into the good works that God prepared for us. Our feet were meant to bring us to visit the widow, carry the orphan back into our homes, bring healing to the hurting, bring us to the nations with the gospel. But instead our feet carry us in the pursuit of money, into stores where we indulge our covetous hearts, into seedy places of wickedness, into situations where sin is celebrated. Our path has produced, look at verse 16, destruction and misery. Friend, God designed this world to be a world of joy. We experience joy and we celebrate it when it happens in little moments. God designed that this world would be endless joy. At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. God intended marriage to be constant bliss parenting to be a, a happy and fun endeavor that was enjoyable every day. God intended our work to bring delight to our hearts. God intended there to be joy surrounding us, songs filling our hearts. But look at this world. Look at what we've done. We did this. Sin brings misery. It always does. Sin brings instant gratification, but misery later. From your head to your feet, from your inside to your outside, what was designed for glory has been used instead for selfish, fleshly gratification. The image of God has been marred, not ruined, but marred, not removed and not annihilated but there's been destruction of it. So at the end of all that, now that we're all feeling really good about ourselves, <laughs> self-esteem at an all-time high, what's the point? Like, where do, where do we go? Here, here's what the Bible is doing. The Bible is producing a groaning where we would cry out, oh God, what do I do? Is there any hope? And from heaven, a message is heralded that says, God has given you your answer. It's Christ. 
the message of history is, though this is reality, though this is us, God sent Christ. There is redemption that is promised. Listen to me, there's not only forgiveness, like let's glory and worship God for billions of years for forgiveness, but aren't you thankful there's more than forgiveness? There's redemption, there's restoration. Your story isn't done when you're justified. We're forgiven of sins, but your God is at work. We participate in this work of restoring now, but with the hope of glorification in the future. The day's going to come when I don't have this junk anymore. The day's going to come for you and I, Christian, where we, as we were intended to and more, our hearts delight in God and we serve and we sing and we praise and our feet are used for his glory. Our hands are used for his glory. Our taste buds in the kingdom of heaven are going to delight in the goodness of God. We're going to eat and drink and dance. We are going to know the joy that God intended and we will use these bodies for his glory. That is what redemption is. This is where Jesus is bringing us but you won't go to Christ until you see you need him. This is the very first reason why you need to know these truths and study this in depth from the Bible. Your heart will not feel your need of Christ until you feel the darkness of your sin. We don't seek remedies for problems we don't believe we have. But does this also not enable us to worship God with a, with a new kind of strength whenever we begin to see how low I was and how high God is bringing me. When you think you're only sick in sin, when you only think you're only a little far off, you hear about God's forgiveness, say, that's, that's nice. The more we see how broken and what the condition was, the more we will see this. Back in Romans 1, 16 and 17, we said that the central idea of the whole book is there. And we saw we're going to see five main things. And one of them is the power of God in the gospel is shown to us. And then whenever Ben preached uh, Ephesians 1 and talked about how we are supposed to see God, God wants us to grow in the knowledge of the gospel, wants us to see all of these great things like our inheritance. One of the things he mentions is that we will come to comprehend, see, get it. The power of God at work in us who believe. And we think, well, what, what does it mean by that? God wants you to know how great of a miracle it was when he saved you. It wasn't easy to save you. I mean, it's all easy for God. He created a cosmos so big that our greatest telescopes can't see the end of it. And all he did was speak. It's not hard for God, but it was a strength you didn't have. It's a power you didn't have. It wasn't easy to save you. And let me tell you what we're also going to learn as we keep going. It's not easy for God to sanctify you. It requires a strength you and I don't possess to grow in Christ and to come to more holiness and die to sin. You lack the strength to do it. And yet God every single day is doing it. The power of God toward us who believe, it is only understood in light of the brokenness that sin brings us to. There's worship that God deserves there is a fall on the ground weeping kind of gratitude that we ought to feel. Not only for the fact that God sent his son, but that also God provided a way for salvation to be applied to us personally. Friend, do you, do you, do you realize 
If God the Father had sent Jesus and Jesus willingly die a death of ransom for sin on the cross, but God had not gone the extra steps of bringing a way so that he would draw you to himself. If Jesus had died and the Holy Spirit didn't come and apply these things, that heaven would be empty and hell would be full. God has not only sent Christ, God has worked to draw sinners from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation to come to faith in Christ. And so if you recognize in your heart that you are not yet right with God like this, not yet confident that you are justified and born again, then look to Christ. Feel your helplessness. Cry out to God and beg him to save you. And you have the confidence that all who call on the name of the Lord, trusting in faith, will be saved. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Father, hallowed be your name. God, it is our desire that for billions upon billions of years, your name is worship for what you have done, for who you are first and foremost as creator, but also the fact that you have saved us. Oh God, we'll sing, we'll sing songs for eternity, for the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we pray your blessing on us as we leave. I pray that we will live as a people who are grateful and out of our gratitude, out of our gratitude, we will conform our lives to your will, no longer indulging sin, no longer just deliberately walking in these things, but we'll have a new hatred of sin because of a new love for you. And I pray for any in the room that are not yet converted. God, I ask that you hound them and pursue them until they respond. Father, please save souls for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's message titled Total Depravity. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.